0: AW Forward podcast series, a partnership between Meta and Advertising Week. This podcast is part two of a two part series focused on youth and well being. Hi, I'm Vaishnavi, head of youth well being at Meta. My team works with product and policy teams, as well as with external experts, to ensure that Meta continues to build experiences for young people with safety as a priority. Thanks for joining us today. Last week, Samantha Stetson, Meta's VP of Client Council and Industry Trade Relations, interviewed me about our approach to youth well being at the company. We chatted through how we build safer and offer private experiences for teens through a combination of policies, product features, and partnerships. And we discussed the foundational principles that guide our approach to youth well being. In today's episode, we'll take a deeper dive into that third topic partnerships. Here with me is Dr. Alfie Breland Noble, a pioneering psychologist, scientist, author, media contributor, and founder of the innovative nonprofit ACOMA Project. At ACOMA Project, Dr. Alfie focuses on issues related to mental health and equity for intersectional people of color, Including youth, adults, families, and communities. Dr. Alfie is a part of the Youth Advisors, a multidisciplinary group of experts in the field of online safety, child development, and children's media, who share their expertise, research, and guidance with Meta. Dr. Alfie, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Can you begin by telling our listeners a bit about your background and your journey working with young people on their well being?
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Vaishnavi, for having me and to everyone involved for being so welcoming and warm and inviting my perspective. So when I think about how did all of this start, I won't take you too far back. I'm a Gen Xer, so it would take a long time to go really far back, but effectively, (laughs) a lot of this starts in my own childhood. And so essentially, I grew up an African-American girl in an environment where there were not a lot of people of color. And I think that experience um, and and the challenges associated with that uh, really informed my passion for the work that I do now. So if we fast forward many years, one of the threads of all of this work has always been that when I was in the home, when I was in my home with my mom and dad, my brother, my dad's uh, Navy buddies, he's a Navy veteran, um, and my mom's uh, educator friend, she was a teacher. I always felt valued. I always felt welcomed. I always felt included. I always felt just special. They made me feel like who I was exactly as I was, was not only okay, but was to be celebrated. And so that was the thread that I took with me to college. I went to Howard University as an undergraduate, and then I have three more degrees. So I have four degrees total. And throughout my training, the thing that was consistent was, I think a couple things. One was I was always the person, even as a kid, who other people look to for guidance and support. And, and often, most often and listening ear, cause I was a, always a good listener. Um, and I think I use that skill well in the work that we do together. And then I think the second more important thing was I always had a curious mind. And I always felt like there was a way to blend those two aspects of, of who I am and my background. And so, I decided probably not until late into uh, in my undergraduate career that I wanted to pursue the field of mental health because I thought that kids of color deserved the same opportunities for safety and support that I felt like I had as a child growing up. And that honestly, if I'm honest, that really was it for me. And so that all of that experience informs The work that I do now, all the consulting that I do, all of the engagement that I do on social media and uh, on other platforms—it's really just to be a face and a voice where people can look at me, even if they're not African American, and say, even if they're not Gen Xers, even if they're like really young, um, not old like me, but they can look at this face and they can say, "She gets me," even if she doesn't know my exact experience, she understands something about my experience, and I've feel that when I look at her and listen to her, I am seen, valued, heard, and loved. And that really is the impetus for all of my work.
0: I think that is incredibly important, that kind of visibility and representation. And it it dovetails nicely into my second question. Relatedly, what drove you to launch the ACOMA project, and what areas did you choose
1: to focus on with this organization? Oh, that I love that question, by Stevie. You are like a phenomenal interviewer. I love it. And so <laughs> there was a, a lot, I to, I'll start by saying a little bit of the negative and then I'll go into everything that you asked. And so the little bit of the negative is when I started a coma project, it was 1999, it was at the American Psychological Association Convention. I remember sitting at a table with a buddy and like drawing a heart and saying, I'm gonna make this thing. And the thing that I wanted to make was because I heard this then Surgeon General, Dr. David Satcher, the, the amazing Dr. David Satcher, Um, who's not a psychiatrist, who's not in the mental health field per se, talked to our group, our organization of hundreds of thousands of people about the importance of mental health. And that was one of the first times I'd heard like, publicly on a big national stage, someone of his caliber and stature say, not only does mental health matter, right? Because he had this seminal report, uh, mental health, a report of the Surgeon General. And then he had this supplement. And the supplement was for all of us remember the thread i said i i always wanted to be someone who could make other people feel seen like i felt seen as a kid in my home his supplement to the report was mental health a supplement it was i'm sorry mental health race culture ethnicity a supplement to the surgeon general's report and that was where uh latino latina african-american black Asian American, Pacific Islander, Native American, like we were all front and center as a part of that supplement. And that just blew my mind. And so I said, you know what, you know, all of my training um, as an academician, I was in something called academic medicine. So I, I worked primarily in departments of psychiatry at major teaching hospitals and depression was my thing. And so I decided that there were all these people out and about in the world creating interventions to treat different mental illnesses, right? So back then the big thing was treating depression and anxiety. Like what are the innovations? And the the zeitgeist was cognitive behavioral therapy. We're going to give everybody CBT and then everybody's going to be better. And my challenge to myself was you can build these things, but what are you doing to ensure that people like you and me, Vaishnavi, what's going to make us come? Right? Like what's gonna make us show up in these places? And at the time, the answer was we have no idea. And at the time also, which was reflected in the Surgeon General's report, you end up with disparities because people don't come. They don't they don't see CBT and going to sit a 50 minute hour is relevant. So the ACOMA project really grew out of a desire to figure out how do we open the table, put extra leaves in the table so the table gets bigger and bigger and more and more people of more and more kinds of backgrounds can come be at the table. So ACOMA originally meant it was an acronym based on a West African, I've heard it, uh, people described it for me as twee, that it comes from Twe, but I've heard other uh, African uh, cultures use the, the language too, or use the adinkra symbols. And it's akoma with one A in the front. So I said, hmm, I thought, I thought, and I thought, I said, akoma. And so what was akoma? Well, I wanted it because the symbol is a heart. And I wanted that symbol for obvious reasons, given what I've shared. And then I said, okay, so this symbol, like, what does this mean? How do we show people that we care and that we want to welcome them? And essentially what I did was I said, okay, let's make it an acronym. And it was African-American knowledge optimized for mindfully healthy adolescents, right? That's a mouthful. But the mindfulness was important because I felt like it was a way to signal something that was important to me and growing my growing interest at the time in this practice of of mindfulness. And then over time, we stopped using just African-American knowledge and it really became We're like all, right? All young people. We wanted all young people to see themselves. So we kept the symbol of the heart. We uh, built these colors, purple, uh, yellow, and red, purple, gold, and red. And we just built this symbolism around diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, social justice, racial justice, and mental health. And that's a long-winded version, but that's really where it came from and what ACOMA stands for.
0: And I think for people like me, also people of color, um, your organization serves a really critical role in this space. You know, I've spent my entire career working on online safety and tech policy at various technology companies, and I've always been so impressed by organizations like yours that really seek to make this work accessible and equitable for the broader community. I I can personally say that we've benefited from your insights on, on the number of different projects that we've brought you know, to the youth advisors and, and, and to you guys. I wanted to talk about some of the focus areas for Acoma for a minute. Um, you've talked about you know, the three focus areas for Acoma being raising consciousness, empowering people, and shifting systems. How should brands be thinking about contributing to these efforts, especially when it comes to these efforts as they relate to young people?
1: What a another fabulous question by and I, I just appreciate your kind words, and I. For me, that raising consciousness, empowering people and shifting or changing systems all speak to the earliest days of a coma project. And so what was really the goal and and what can organizations and companies and brands do to support these goals? When we talk about raising consciousness, to your point, we're trying to make the language accessible. So when we're raising consciousness, we're just wanting to elevate the conversations around mental health. So the entities who are sponsoring this conversation that you are and I are having right here, and the fact that we have two people of color, women of color here having this conversation, those are things that brands and, and I don't know, companies and organizations can do. You can elevate these conversations and allow people to use their gifts and talents to really speak to the, the widest range of people and the broadest audience possible. So, you know, what you are, and I are not talking about is just, the racial ethnic groups that we come from. We're talking about, you know, more globally, youth mental health, youth safety, youth online safety. And so it's important for that representation to be there because that helps to elevate the conversation and allow more people to see themselves in the conversation. So that's really what raising consciousness is. It is elevating topics and ideas and and different approaches and cultural groups and, and mores and norms around well-being for us at the Acoma Project that maybe haven't had a light shone on them, right? Or maybe haven't had their voices amplified. So that's really what raising consciousness is, elevating these conversations in diverse communities around mental health. Um, And so that's one of the things that corporate entities and, and brands can do is you can, support these kinds of conversations. You can donate to organizations through corporate social responsibility, um, the the organizations that do this kind of work to reduce stigma and just elevate conversations about mental health and normalize them. Empowering people is we always want to leave people with tools that they can use to improve their mental health and well-being. So what can brands do in that regard? Well, I think about one of the innovations we uh, came up with that I am not trying to flatter you guys to be, but I use it consistently on um, the Instagram platform, the reminder to tell you to stop and take a break from Instagram. I still use that. Like literally, I probably saw it three times today, which probably is not good that I saw it three times. This means I'm not following the directive. But the idea is, that there are things that we can do, tools that we can create, things that we can share with people that sometimes are free, sometimes are low cost, sometimes they have a cost um, that are gonna help people begin to think about how can I take this tool and use it to help me manage my mental health, whether that's an app, uh, whether that's a functionality within an app, like we just talked about with the, the reminder that comes up on Instagram to take a break, any number of things. and so. Corporations and organizations can do things like build those kinds of tools into their day-to-day offerings, their day-to-day activities. When you have corporate meetings, You start your meeting with a moment of mindfulness or when you have a corporate meeting, you end the meeting and tell everyone, remind them, okay, now when you leave here, make sure you give yourself 30 seconds or a minute before you go to the next thing. And you just need a mindful moment. So these are things that organizations can do to empower people. You want to give people tools. And then finally. Changing systems. That's a larger conversation, but the idea is what can each of us do individually and what can we do collectively to elevate concepts, elevate challenges, elevate ideas, elevate solutions to allow more people into this conversation around mental health and emotional well-being for our young people to allow uh, more normalization of these conversations. And then I think most importantly, to ensure that everybody has access to some form of care. Now that's a tall order, but when we think about shifting systems, are there ways that companies and, and organizations and entities can elevate the conversation about things like uh, equity and access to mental health care? Are there things we can do to think about, you know, one thing that people are very interested in is mental health within primary care. What can we do to support that? What can we do to support legislation that is constructed and built to increase accessibility of, of mental health care for the widest range of people? And then what can we do in terms of shifting systems to change, excuse me, change our own mindsets such that On a day-to-day basis in the work that we do, whatever our job is, we can elevate within our organizations these conversations about why it's important to focus on mental health. So I'll give you one quick example. At the ACOMA Project, one of the things we instituted is one mental health day a month, no questions asked, right? And and allowing people the flexibility to say, you know what? I, I need a day. You don't have to call it a mental health day, but I need a day to take care of myself. And that is changing an internal working system, because I never had anything like that. In the 20 years I was in academic medicine, the idea that I could take a day off to take care of my mental health was just never something I conceptualized. So those are some of the things I would say organizations can do, companies can do, brands can do, to elevate these these concepts that we hold dear at a coma.
0: And I think these concepts are really all the more important as we think about young people growing up in our societies today, young people, children or teenagers, who are really growing up surrounded by technology. I think these three principles that you've highlighted are incredibly important in that context. I'm curious what you see are some of the unique opportunities for children and teenagers who are growing up surrounded by this technology. And also what are some challenges that need to be addressed with them?
1: Again, uh, another wonderful question. It's something I think about having two teenagers in, in my own home. And I think it's easier for me to start with the challenges. I think the challenges are around how do you manage consumption? And that has, multiple layers. How do you manage consumption in terms of volume, like uh, quantity? And how do you manage consumption in terms of quality? What are you taking in? And then thinking through things like how are you consuming it and what are you doing with the information that you gain? Um, And then how do you use the information that you gain, sort of like a feedback loop, to push it back into that Social media landscape, that electronic landscape. Do you use it to help people? Do you use it to hurt people? Do you use it to help yourself? Do you use it to hurt yourself? Do you use it to find community or do you use it to, I don't know, attack others? And so I think this idea of having thoughtful conversations with young people and really giving them the respect to say that they have their own ideas, maybe they're not. 100% baked because they're young people, but they have really great gems of ideas. They have some wonderful ideas that they thought through very carefully. And then there are some things that I like to describe as just being outside of their line of sight. They just can't see some of these things because they haven't lived and had enough different experiences. And so I think our job as adults and caregivers and the people who love them in communities is to Sometimes sit down, be quiet and listen, right? To consume what the young people are telling us are the benefits and challenges of electronic forms of media or social media. Um, And then to listen with intent, to be able to take that information, organize it, uh, put it in a structure that then is going to resonate with young people to uplift and support them. So that's the challenge. I think the opportunities are, I have to tell you, one of the greatest opportunities in my mind of social media for young people is not only giving a voice, but amplifying the voice of people who are already out there who traditionally have not been seen or heard or valued. And so I think about all the different ways, and and this has multiple facets to it. The ways in which, you know, Gen Z and younger millennials have made mental health a rallying cry, right? And it's everywhere. The ways in which young people have really forced us to look at things like climate change and racial injustice, um, gender inequity, uh, justice for people of the LGBTQ community, who, as I say, can also be people of color. I think, that has been a powerful galvanizing force that you know 20 years ago we wouldn't have had access to. So you think about a rally or you think about a protest, how easy it is to get people to show up and to have them be informed about what you're doing because with the click of a button or two clicks of a button on your device, you can spread information and share information. I think as well for our young people, there have been opportunities for them to I don't know be entrepreneurs um, and to, Build, I don't, not wealth necessarily, but to build capital or to build and construct positive ways for them to take care of themselves that also, again, were not accessible to them 15, 20 years ago. And I think ultimately watching young people lead through how they use social media, through our content creators and that type of thing, I just see all these wonderful elements and all these wonderful outcomes that have informed me in my work as an adult and that I know have informed other adults around me. So one example is having the opportunity to work with content creators for the MTV uh, Biden-Harris Administration Youth Action Forum. Like the idea that being a social media content creator could lead you to literally taking a selfie with President Biden, you know, or walking down a hall with Selena Gomez, Dr. Biden and Dr. Vivek Murthy, the current Surgeon General. That's the power of social media. That's the power of diverse people being able to use their voices for good. Um, And in many ways, using your voice for good, having a voice, having your voice amplified, being visible, those are all things that can be really powerfully good for your mental health
0: that's a really interesting perspective because we, you know, think about youth well-being or the well-being of young people, um, not just in terms of how can we make sure that they're safe and having good experiences online, but also how can we amplify the really important voice that they have on on our technologies? How can we make sure that we're letting them create and be empowered to raise awareness about things that are important to them? So I think that's a really valuable perspective that you're sharing over there. What what role do you think that brands both tech brands or, or other types of brands can play in helping um, to ensure that youth uh, have a positive uh, experience online. What can we do to help ensure their well-being? And is there any example of a, of a project being done in the private sector that you've been particularly impressed with? I, I loved your reference to our take a break tool on Instagram. Um, it's yes. been really valuable for me on a personal level. And I think it's been one of those products that we've really, Really, we're really grounded in the feedback and expertise from from people like you. So, thanks for sharing about that one.
1: Of course. So, I have to start with one of the ones that's most important to me, like as a as a clear, concrete example of what brands can do. And it just so happens that it's my daughter, my eighteen year old, and it's Dove. And what Dove has done, um, they just released a report, um, and they made a bunch of a lot of not a bunch of I'm sorry. A, a, a group of social media and other forms of media assets where they're asking girls and fems to talk about hair discrimination, racial discrimination and body uh, discrimination, like body type discrimination. And to see what they came up with and to see the way that it has been pushed out across social media and to see the immediate response of young people to this beautiful group of five young women, um, all late teens, early 20s, uh, actually not all late teens, because there's a 14-year-old in the group, and to see the diversity, the, the beautiful diversity. And so for me, that all comes down to two words, representation matters. And so if brands can use their platforms to amplify and to create visuals and to allow a diverse group of young people to see themselves reflected, right? People with darker skin, people with lighter skin, people with curly hair, people with straight hair, people who are non-gender conforming, people who are gender fluid, you know, allowing young people to see the fullness of who they are represented by these powerful brands because, you know, we have to think Meta is a powerful brand. And so if you see a young person uh, in an advertisement or making content like I know a lot of times I'll see commercials for like Meta um, and some of the different offerings that Meta has. And when I see diverse representation, I think, okay, that's a brand that's trying to understand me and trying to get me. So I think that representation matters piece. is so important for online safety, because if you can see yourself reflected positively, as I said before, by some of the most major brands on the globe, on the planet, then You can feel a little bit more safe in your day as opposed to feeling invisible, which historically is what many of our young people with marginalized identities have felt. Online sometimes is not a safe place because when you go online, historically speaking, and sometimes even now, people who look like you are not valued or uplifted or supported. They're really torn down and denigrated. And so brands can really take the time to amplify in positive and healthy ways our young people. Um, and support them in being the natural representation of themselves. And so that Dove uh, Self-Esteem Project about discrimination and and how much it really costs girls and femmes a year, I think they said it's something like $500 billion a year, it was what the cost is of experiencing that kind of discrimination around your hair, around your body type, and around your skin color. So that's one phenomenal example. And one other quick one um, is this whole LinkedIn um, promotional uh, I don't know, set of assets I've seen where they talk about everything is professional, right? So having a big Afro can be professional. Like if, if you wear henna tattoos, that's professional. So who you are, if you have other kinds of tattoos, that can be professional. And showing a range of people on their platform in that way, I think That is incredibly powerful. And, you know, just a snippet of time in 30 seconds, in 10 seconds, you can demonstrate to someone that who you are exactly as you are is valuable. And there's almost no better message than that for our young people's well-being and for online safety. That's
0: really powerful. And I agree with you that Dev Campaign is incredibly valuable. And they've been investing in this for a while, which is really positive um, to see as well. What impact do you hope all this work has on society at the end of the day? You know, you work so much both um, as an individual academic and expert yourself as well um, as through your organization. What impact do you hope all this work has on society in the long run?
1: My biggest wish... Um, I think if I state it succinctly, is I have this thing that I always say, uh, and that is may you proudly and easily share your light with everyone you encounter, knowing the goodness of the universe in every moment. Now, yes, it's kinda hokey, yes, it's kinda la la, woo-woo. I get it. But the idea is I think that's what any of us want. What What we want is to be taken at face value, to be seen for exactly who we are. You know, I I don't necessarily believe there are flaws. I say to people, you are perfect in your own way. And as you grow and mature and develop, you just become a more perfect version of yourself. And I think if brands and if, you know, the people who work in the online space, like you, Vaishnavi, and and the, the, the group that we work with together, if we can find ways both in in the micro level and in the macro level of our society to just take a step back and allow people who are not hurting other people, right? Who are out there doing good things or who are just being neutral and sort of being themselves. Allow them space to be who they are. I feel like that's one of the most important things we can do for anybody and not ask people to conform or, you know, twist themselves into a pretzel, as I always say, to fit our ideals and our own individual standards. So my hope is that through the work that we do at the ACOMA Project, where this year we published our first study, um, where we looked at, almost 3,000 young people of color between the ages of 13 and 25, and everyone in the sample was a young person of color, right? To be able to do something like that and to have corporate social responsibility partners support that and to have the public support that and to, to see the reception that we receive from that, to me, that's one of the clearest indicators that there is hope that, you know, there are people out there Who want to see themselves reflected, who want to see their own mirrors. And there are other people out there who want to be supportive of that effort. So, my hope is in thinking about the arc of my career, where when I started, you know, me describing what I wanted to have for a career and what I wanted to study, being met with derision and being met with people snickering and laughing, and to see the arc, you know, 18, 20 years later of now I have this opportunity to converse with you on a platform as big as what we're on at the moment like that's my vision for society that's my hope that's that's my dream this is the manifestation of a dream and i do think that with the continued efforts of things like this having these kinds of conversations and putting them out there for people to consume online mind you that that demonstrates the possibility and i don't want to be like too much into la la land but I do, it does give me hope and it does make me feel like there are opportunities for us to just do such great, wonderful, and powerful things to do what we all, I think many of us want to do, leave this world a little bit better than we found it.
0: I love that. I think that's such a beautiful note to end on. And I really can't thank you enough for your time today, Dr. Elsie. I know our listeners have gained a tremendous perspective that I really hope will be shared and incorporated into their own business practices. I can very confidently say that based on my experience partnering both with you and the ACOMA team, your perspective has helped make Meta a more welcoming and safe place for teens of color. Personally, as a trust and safety leader, who is also a woman of color? Uh, it's been really encouraging and inspiring to work with individuals and organizations like yours. So, thank you so much for everything that you've contributed so far. Um, with that, that concludes our two part series on youth well being. Thank you all for listening, and thank you again, Dr. Alfie.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Vaishnavi.